Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Nowhere Podcast. Technology is constantly running in the background of our lives, yet for most of us, it's invisible. On Nowhere, we explore the intended and unintended influences that geospatial technology has on the real world. These are the stories of how geospatial tech unexpectedly affects our lives. I'm Jonathan Neufeld, CEO of TechTerra and host of Nowhere. Today, my guest is Emily Craven, founder and CEO of Story City. Hi, Emily. Thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, John. It's my pleasure. So today we're going to explore locative content and the power of location to connect people to places via stories. And we'll talk about the technology that you've developed. Before we get there, though, can you explain locative content for me? Sure. So in a nutshell, it is basically... uh, content in the form of stories, media, film, audio, which can only be experienced in a specific location, a physical location. So in order to experience a story, I have to be somewhere specific to get that part of it, yeah? A hundred percent, exactly. Excellent. And so I guess when we talk about stories... The world is full of stories these days. And, you know, in a world of tentpole Marvel movies and global media marketing, why are locative stories important? Locative stories in particular are really the roots of what help people feel like they belong, right? So when you consider those things like those Marvel stories and those, you know, big IPs that are globally accessible on our streaming services, they really dive into the specifics and the culture of a particular area. Anyone who's gone traveling anywhere in the world will know that people do things a little bit differently, think a little bit differently, have different types of stories, whether they be creation stories, historical, whatever that might be. And so the stories in a particular location are really kind of the roots of everything from patriotism to culture to that sense of belonging and feeling like you're a part of a community. And those stories don't get a lot of international attention, but they are essentially what makes our communities cohesive and allow us to come up with ideas and thoughts for the future. Sure. So I I identify with where I live through the geography itself, but also through the stories of the people that experience it and the things that have happened on the land prior to my being here. Yeah, and also your own stories, right? Like every significant memory in your life happened in a very specific place, you know, where you had your first kiss, where you learned how to ride a bike, where you got married, right? And so they all have a very strong connection to a particular place that gives you a physical, visceral feeling as well as that mental memory. And so this is kind of tapping into that zeitgeist in a way. And I guess another power of locative content is being able to engage people on the land help them, you know, feel connected to their community, both socially, but also physically in terms of the geography. Yeah, exactly right. Because you're physically moving through a story rather than just kind of passively watching it. So tell me about the very first story you put together as the precursor to Story City. And tell me how that idea came around. Yeah, so I was living in a capital city in Australia at the time. And this city was known to be very creative. It had a fringe festival that would run every year for about a six-week period, but then the rest of the time it was a little bit dead. And so a lot of the people within the creative community would move away to these bigger cities and it kind of left the city feeling a little bit empty and and devoid of interesting things to kind of do and see. And so myself and and a couple of writer friends banded together and said, look, we want to be able to create opportunities in our own city as creators, but we also want to be taking a part in stories rather than just being told them. So we decided that we were going to make a real life choose your own adventure. And the way that we did this was that we put 
QR codes onto posters and we zip tied them to poles all around the city. Now, we did do this during fringe time just because that was part of the active culture and vibe of of the city at the time. And having so many people in the city, we would lose something like, you know, five or six posters a day. Um, But what was really great was that we would have hundreds of people who were super excited about it and like made their own maps with the QR codes on the map so that they could do it, even though the posters weren't there. And it took them to places in the city that they'd lived in for years that they didn't know existed. And so there was a particular alleyway that I would walk through every day to go to university. And I didn't realize that if I just turned slightly to the left and looked up two stories, someone had stuck thousands of matchbox cars all the way up the brick of this parking lot. And I had never noticed when I was walking through. And so the the project allowed us to see our city with new eyes and discover new places. But then it also, when you would speak to people, the story, when they spoke about it and they spoke about the characters, it was almost as though the people in this story existed. And so it had this impact that maybe them reading a book that one of us may have written didn't. And so that impact, that extra impact that came out of it was because they were able to like physically traverse the same places that the characters in the story were traversing. And they were they were immersed in that story because they were in the same location. 100% because they could smell the things, they could feel the wind or the heat, or and they could tilt their head all the way back to see that piece of street art several stories up, right? And so, you know, when you engage body into that sort of thing, it makes them kind of feel like they've stepped into the those shoes. But also the stories were written so that they actually inhabited a character in those stories as well. So they weren't just watching characters in that location. They were being one as well. Sure. They were choosing that adventure. They were a part of the story. They were inside it. Exactly. So you've got QR codes zip tied to poles and that's the precursor. So tell me about the geospatial technology now that's involved in Story City and how you're helping roll this out in a more technological way. Yeah. So I think what the interesting thing was is that from that project, what came out of it was that we had a bunch of cities come to us and say, hey, we're really struggling to get young people to engage in in public space. And We really love the way that you use gamification and local content to do that. But we knew as the people who ran that project that we were losing six posters a day and that took a lot of time to maintain and keep track of. And so that was kind of, you know, in the earlier days of smartphones and the iPhone and the app stores and all of those kind of things. So we cast about for a way that we could easily make a set of created tools that would allow us to not only build out the stories, but then would also allow us to very easily place something in location without having to rely on something physical being there. And then obviously GIS and and GPS technology was a really key part of that because it allowed you to put that digital layer over the top of the real world. It allowed you to trigger content without needing a QR code or physical signage or anything like that to be able to do it. And so that was kind of like how that initially developed. That's super cool. So someone then with your app following one of the stories on it, enters one of these sort of geofenced locations, and then rather than having to scan a QR code on a pool, the, the geofenced location then triggers the next piece of the story for them. Exactly, exactly. And so that piece of story might be an audio, a video, whatever that that might be. And once that piece of content has been experienced in that location, then they would be guided using maps 
and audible directions to then get to their next location or to be then given choices, right, to be able to choose their own adventure. And so they can actually pick a unique pathway, not only through the content, but through the city itself. Right, right. And then again, it lets them play a role in it and helps position them intimately into the story. Yeah, but it also helps with invisible learning as well, right? Because when you use that kind of gamification, you can kind of hide information, as it were, in the stories, right? You can hide whether that's historical information or or what have you. You can kind of hide that kind of piece or that educational piece in there. And so it also helps you kind of understand your city a little bit more, whether it's stories of people or places or um, history. So wait, I'm on the adult version of a field trip right now and I don't even know it. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. You've decided to be a pirate looking for pirate treasure in your city. And the next thing you know, you're learning about this pub was actually the first police station to house female police officers in your city. So like, you know, you can drop little nuggets like that and they get absorbed into not only your memory of taking this adventure, but then it it comes out as little tidbits that you can tell people later. Yeah. And I mean, and again, tying it back to location and geography, you'll probably remember that better because you were standing there looking at it and you have that narrative hook to hang it on. Exactly. Exactly. I was a pirate here, but did you also know? Like, it's just one of those things, those uh, memory training type things where, you know, the people will remember a series of playing cards and they do it by naming the playing cards and making a story out of it, right? And it kind of does the same thing. So speaking of stories, entertainment seems like a really obvious use case for this. So maybe share with me a little bit of an entertainment value story that you've put together that's hosted on your platform. Yeah. So the interesting thing about this kind of technology and that platforms and companies like, you know, Niantic with their Pokemon Go kind of showed was that people are really interested in ways of getting out with friends and family and connecting, right? And so one of the entertainment things that we're really well known for is our um, our choose your own adventures and our puzzle trails. So if you've ever done an escape room where you are trying to solve clues to get through different parts of the room and, and get out of the, the room, um, we do those but in real public space where you would be taken to a particular spot, you might have to read some information on a sign, pull out a letter, uh, and then you use that to uncover a launch code for a peanut butter and jelly spaceship that you send off into the universe to feed the aliens so that they won't invade Earth, right? And so you are kind of guided with riddles to find a the next location. And so you might move from a piece of public street art to a monument to a piece of playground equipment where you might be encouraged to go up and down the slide to send a signal or a message to a secret agent watching. And so what it essentially does is it gets people to interact with those features, but in a in a fun way that also allows them to solve a mystery. And uh, it's the same thing with a choose-your-own-adventure, right? You are stepping into the shoes of a character. Like I talked about a pirate looking for pirate treasure in the current city that I'm in, Edmonton. Uh, you can essentially go on a cafe crawl along White Avenue and to the premise of the story or the choose-your-own-adventure is that a magical cafe is taking over different cafes in this street. And as part of the choose-your-own-adventure, you're trying to deal with some very interesting monsters that come in. And so it changes the pathway that you take through that area. And so you may go down one direction and end up with an ending where you may 
or may not die at the hands of a crazy wizard, or you may or may not uh, live and save the day or save someone's life. And so it actually encourages people to go back and repeat the story to see what would happen if they made different choices. And so it kind of brings people back to the same areas and then helps build in habits that might encourage someone to visit a local small business or uh, a festival that runs, right? And I love the idea of gamifying a city experience, right? You're helping people experience their own city or the city they've traveled to in a new way that they wouldn't have otherwise done through the through this experience of the story and then encouraging them to go back and do it again through the option of different endings and different versions of the story. Exactly. And consider the fact that 45% of city land is public space, right? And a lot of the time that public space is used occasionally for a festival-based event but the other time is not purposefully or intentionally used. And so what are the ways that that can be used for recreation, but also what are the ways that it can be used to educate and what are the ways that it can be used to to bring people together? Well, I think it's really interesting too to consider recreation broadly, right? It's not just uh, running or frisbee playing or golf, but how are people transiting through the space and what are they experiencing while they're there? And when you look at the world in a, in a work from home kind of environment, people are probably getting out less and less than they used to. Uh, you don't have any data on that. Obviously, that's anecdotal. But I would suspect that something like this could then help people experience a different part of their city, give them a reason to go there and spend time in their city experiencing something local and important. A hundred percent. And a lot of our technology today really disconnects us from the world around us. And the point of this kind of technology and this kind of content is to use technology to reconnect us to that physicality of where we live. It's interesting you talk about reconnecting because I know one of the things you're trying to do is to evolve your platform to look at social impact stories as well and connecting people to other citizens who are experiencing something differently in their, in their community. So tell me about how your platform is helping with social impact and the stories you're telling that way. Yeah. So the really interesting thing about these stories in location is that it literally allows someone to step into the shoes of somebody else and live that story. And so that's really of interest for nonprofits who are, have a community group that they are attempting to help and improve the lives of. And so to get you to literally step into someone's shoes and live a part of their existence is a really strong way of building empathy. Right. And so we worked with a homeless nonprofit here in Edmonton called the Mustard Seed, who really wanted to introduce people, yes, not only to the plight of homeless people within the city, but then also to the wonderful initiatives that are being run in the city to help in terms of affordable housing, in terms of Indigenous justice with homelessness and support in terms of disability employment programs and in terms of how different community members have in their way attempted to help that support, right? And so they have a regular fundraiser that runs every year called the coldest night of the year. It happens in the middle of February. Edmonton gets to minus 30 in February. We're currently in a minus 30 week right now. And the idea is to take this walk in this very cold temperature in which homeless people do live and exist during the day and to talk about these initiatives. And one of the very powerful stories they had was with an Indigenous elder who used to live in the River Valley Parks and and was a, uh, what they call transient homelessness, where he would be living on other people's couch 
couches so he would not necessarily have be out in the cold all the time but he would not have a place that he could feel safe and call his own either right and so talking about you know you're standing here in this place for you know maybe two minutes listening to his story freezing your butt off and considering to yourself how could I have lived here like for a day, a week, et cetera, in this kind of cold, right? And so you get to feel that viscerally. But also then they would introduce you to the story of a, a young man who was homeless in his teenage years and is now a emerging musician in the Edmonton indie scene. And they actually play you one of his songs, which is just this beautiful, beautiful song while you were walking through the streets where he used to live, right? And it kind of it brings tears to your eyes because you are probably at that time also walking past other homeless people while you're listening to this music that has been born out of his struggles as a teenager. So it gives that a brilliant ability to step into the shoes of somebody else and to build that empathy and then they use that to drive donations and um, volunteer support for their organisation. And I would imagine it's a powerful experience to be standing there at the River Valley listening to this gentleman tell his story and experiencing one of these coldest nights of the year yourself, knowing you have a warm jacket and a warm car and a warm house to go back to, but hearing a story about someone who doesn't have that luxury. So I can imagine the visceral impact of that story given by the location and the conditions in which you're hearing it. I I can see how that would make a huge difference. Yeah. And you can also imagine the kind of campaigns that could kind of come out of that, right? So for those of you who didn't know, Canada is the first country in the world to have initiated a national kindness week into its legislature. And um, How Canadian, hey? That's so Canadian. Canadian. It's so it's incredibly Canadian. Legally kind (laughs) to people. (laughs) That's right. So the third week of February every year is official that National Kindness Week. And so we partnered with the Global Dignity Canada organization to do a kindness walk where we get people to, you know, go to a particular location at one spot, they might pick up litter at another spot, they might draw messages of kindness in the pavement. But to put together that walk, you know, it doesn't have to be a very specific park or a very, it doesn't have to be, you know, Edmonton, a city hall or anything like that. It can just be like, okay, this happens at a park bench, this thing happens at a bridge, and this thing happens at a tree, right? And so we were able to put a kindness walk in every city. We picked a park in every city and put it into to very similar locations. And so that then allowed their campaign to get people to physically experience the act of being kind to other people through these different activities. And they were able to put that up in 24 hours, right, in every city in Canada. And so they were able to have a global on-the-ground presence in a city even though they didn't necessarily have offices there. So they were able to then use this locative content and these locative stories to help drive kindness in regions in which they didn't have their own physical presence. Exactly. That's a very cool. I mean, again, I love that Canada has a National Kindness Week. And then I love empowering people to do something with that through the power of story and through, you know, them experiencing their own city through this kind of locative content. Definitely. Excellent. So what's next for Story City? How do you see the platform and the technology and the stories evolving over the future? The thing about locative content is that, you know, it's been used kind of by those gaming companies to, you know, collect Pokemon in parks. And it gets used a lot by travel to do, you know, like self-guided walking tours around a city that you... I've never visited before, but it has so much more potential as a media format, right? We're all looking for more interaction, not only with our stories, but with creators. And there's really kind of no, there was really no platform before us that allowed people to, to, who were not gamers, 
who were not traveling in a different city to be able to experience this kind of interactivity and to literally step inside of stories. And so whether, you know, that's for theater or film or even books, or as we said, you know, talking about escape rooms, like, so I see this kind of technology, this GPS technology, allowing us to build that augmented reality layer that people have been predicting and predicting for decades and decades, but doing it in a way that meets people where they're at with the formats that they already use to tell those stories and providing just very simple equalizing technology. And that's what's really, I think, important is that you want to provide equalizing technology that allows people to be able to build out these very life-changing experiences and formats without the need to know how the technology works. And I think that that's what I love a lot about geospatial technology is that we use it every day, you know, from our Google Maps to getting our Wi-Fi to work and to phone calls that we make and and all of that sort of thing. And it has become a tool in a very practical sense, but it has yet to become a creative tool, but it has so much power to be a creative tool. And so that's kind of what I see us being able to transform in the future. Fantastic. I love the idea of using the geography itself as a canvas on which to tell the stories that happen there and then enabling people to get there through their technology and by being in that same location. Absolutely fantastic. So thank you very much for sharing it with me, Emily, and thank you for being here today. I really appreciate you having us on, John. We love the Nowhere podcast. Thank you so much. This is the Nowhere podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Neufeld. You can find Nowhere at NowherePodcast.com, on Twitter at Nowhere underscore pod, and you can find me at John underscore Neufeld. See you later.